0: Welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture, where Oliver McIntyre discusses the latest farming trends and how they could affect your business. In this podcast, Oliver talks to Stuart Roberts, NFU Deputy President, on sustainability in farming and how farmers can become carbon net zero by 2040. Here's Oliver.
1: Hello everybody, Um, in this episode I'm really pleased to be talking about sustainability in agriculture and especially pleased to to be joined by Stuart Roberts, the NFU Deputy President. The NFU have set the target of net zero agriculture by 2040 and we'll be chatting today about this hugely important topic that's just getting more and more traction and rightfully so. Stuart, welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture podcast. It's great to have you here and chatting to us. It's been an interesting year, but how are you? How's things going?
2: It has been an interesting year, Oliver. I think you and I must have spoken to each other virtually probably about, I don't know, half a dozen times in the last few months. It's never entirely the same as seeing people. But look, how are things? things are good, Oliver, I think when I look at other sectors of the economy, over covid in particular i'd like to think agriculture is one of the better sectors to be in we've got some big challenges coming up we're going to talk today about net zero for example but no i'm keeping well oliver
1: excellent so for us at barclays sustainability is hugely moving up our internal and external agenda it's clearly about the environment but you know as a financial institution it's also about having financial and to a degree family sustainability which allows in a farming context allows for that environmental management what does it mean at the NFU Stuart
2: I think it's a great question Oliver and if I look back over the last 10 years actually the word sustainability at times has frustrated me I think people have thrown it round like sweet you know it can mean anything to anyone for me It's actually about three pillars. So yes, the environmental sustainability is really important, but it's also about not losing sight of financial sustainability. You touched on family, and I think that social bit of sustainability is really important as well. So I think, unfortunately, it means lots of different things to lots of different people. For me, it's about the efficient use of my resources that I have on my farm. And it's also about leaving the farm in a better condition than I inherited. It's something that that I believe, firmly believe, that farmers have done for generations in this country.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Stuart. And I think for me, that family sustainability, we're in an age now, perhaps when I was young, you left school and you went to work at home. I think people have a broader experience these days. You know, the Internet broadens our minds and people need more stimulation in their daily life in and out of the farming business.
2: Absolutely, Oliver. And I think, look, I grew up on the farm, but I then actually left the farm for many years, lots of people do, and then came back to the farm. And I still enjoy actually getting off the farm as well. I think one of the things you and I have talked about before, and and colleagues of yours like Mark Southern, for example, are well on top of this subject, even more than than me and many others. Yeah, if you like the mental health, the the social sustainability, the family bit, and you can't then not go into succession and some of those difficult discussions that we don't like to have at times. But all of this for me is the rich picture that comes back to making sure we've got a sustainable business and ultimately a
1: sustainable industry. Yeah, absolutely. I keep using the analogy of a jigsaw when I'm talking to people. There isn't just one picture here. There's a whole myriad of pieces that need to be sort of meshed together. One of those pieces, Stuart, is the carbon net zero sector we're hoping to achieve by 2040, a clear NFU goal. We've actually carried out some survey work across around 1,000 farmers across the UK, and 16% of them feel that they're already at carbon net zero. And eight out of 10 believe they're going to get there in the next 15 years by 2035. What, realistically, what work needs to be done in our industry over the next 20 years to hit that challenging goal?
2: That's a very difficult question. And for different sectors, it will mean very different things. But ultimately, for me, the first big thing is around trying to hit that sweet spot, which is improving productivity, which at the same time will get us towards net zero. And and there's an old phrase that you will have heard many times that, yeah, you can't be green if you're in the red. It's one that's been used lots of times. For me, actually, often being green is actually a positive contributor to profitability. You know, if I can use resources more efficiently, if I can become more productive, then I absolutely hit that sweet spot of getting towards net zero. And I think lots of people are actually contributing today towards net zero, but don't realise it because what they're actually doing is they're doing efficiency improvements for financial reasons and not realising that by definition, by doing that, you're also contributing to net zero. But also there are some big things we still need to tackle. When it comes to measuring carbon, there is still a plethora of carbon calculators, many of which I believe don't yet take properly into account, if you like, the positive aspects of agriculture in terms of sequestration. And I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to talk about this. But there aren't many industries that have if you like, carbon on both sides of the equation. Yes, we do use carbon, we emit carbon, but we also sequester and store it. And and I think that puts agriculture in a really, really important place. But there'll also be, you know over the next decade, next two decades, there'll also be technology improvements and technology changes that will contribute. There'll be changes in terms of storing carbon, but it's, it's all to play for. And I think, I genuinely believe this is one of the most exciting topics around agriculture at the moment, not just because it hits that sweet spot of improving my business performance as well as contributing to the environment, but it actually places agriculture at the completely at the heart of the biggest issue facing society, which is climate change. And, and what more exciting a place is there to be than at the heart of the, the big issues of society? And it's great to be playing our
1: part. I couldn't agree more, Stuart, with so much in what you've just said. For me, carbon measurement is the key to the future for us. Reliable, verifiable carbon measurement. It's a bit like a business plan or benchmarking. Unless you know where you're at at the start, how do you plot your route down the path? But we'll come on to that a little bit later. 2020 has, as we've already said, been an interesting year globally and especially in the UK. And I think it's taught us an awful lot as a nation and as a sector in agriculture. Do you feel that, As a provider of food, of course, we've got to get down to that net zero. But because food is a sort of it's it's just a non-option item, isn't it? We need food to survive. Do you think this gives agriculture a, a bit of an argument to have some flexibility in emissions of carbon and greenhouse gases? Or do you think we need to be targeting it right down to zero or negativity?
2: I think this is where there can be some confusion, I think. Every activity that we all do as human beings effectively has a carbon footprint. And for, for me, this is not about every single product or every single part of my farm itself being carbon neutral, but about the whole business, about the whole, uh, if you like, the whole of agriculture. That's why we've set the aspiration where it is. I think you, you make a really interesting point, but I think... Too often, agriculture actually has been seen as, if you like, the villain in the climate change debate. We seem too often, particularly livestock agriculture, be painted as, if you like, the cause of climate change, whereas I actually fundamentally believe we're the, uh, we're the solution for it. So, look, food will always have an impact. It's about minimising that impact. And it's about looking at agriculture in the whole, all the other things we do, you know, and and we'll talk about, I'm sure, many on my farm where, you know, we've got some woodland, we've got some permanent pasture, we're looking at how we do things. And it's all of that together uh, that is contributing to net zero, not any one particular
1: product in its own right. It's good you've mentioned, mentioned your own farm there in Hertfordshire, Stuart. Obviously, you know, for me in the north, it's like the land of milk and honey, where everything goes swimmingly well, I'm sure, all year round. We do seem to be getting more of these, I don't know what you, the scientists call them, significant rainfall events. I think in agriculture we have another description for them. And obviously a couple of years ago we, we saw some really severe droughts sweeping the whole UK. What sort of effects have you seen in the last five or ten years at home that could be attributed to climate change? And what, what sort of actions are you taking at home to try and counteract those, Stuart? So, so look, this is
2: uh, this is a really interesting issue because agriculture, I think, is is if you like, at the heart of being the solution to climate change. But agriculture is also probably the first industry that gets impacted by climate change because ultimately everything we do is impacted by by the weather. And and I only look at the last two years. You know, we've had droughts, we've had phenomenal heat waves, we've had floods in numerous parts of the country and somebody was i was talking to maybe even be you oliver i was talking to over the summer i can't remember and it wasn't the wet autumn or the dry spring or the wet august in itself that was the problem it was a combination of all of those events happening and happening more often i luckily last night did manage to get everything on the farm drilled before today's rain arrived and if i hadn't I wouldn't have been surprised if I didn't then plant anything till the spring, but but we are seeing more of these uh, events. They will be more extreme. They will be more frequent, uh, and we've got to manage them. But for me, what I've tried to do on the farm is actually also look at how I can use them to my advantage. I think going forward, the most arguably the most exciting thing uh, going forward, I think, is actually looking at water. When I look at climate change and I look around the world. We in this country sometimes have too much water. Sometimes we don't have enough. Sometimes it's in the wrong place but at least we have fresh water. And I look at other agriculture economies around the world where human urban populations are short of water, and yet we're still using water to feed crops, whereas we don't have that in this country. We have a a huge volume of water. We've just got to be better at storing it and moving it and using it. And I think if we can do that, we've got a, a huge advantage. So what have I done here? We've just built effectively the start of a new farmyard which has been built with net zero and sustainability in mind. So we're capturing thick end of half a million litres of water a year off the roofs and off the concrete. We're looking to bring in new technology to help us improve the performance of animals both genetically and nutritionally and also improve their health and welfare in a very proactive way. And I think these are things that they're all great for the environment, but they also help my bottom line. I I aim to not use any mains water for any of my farming operations going forward. And that can't be anything other than positive. And I think, you know, looking at at water in particular, I see huge opportunities for the UK to have a, a competitive advantage going forward if We invest in it on farm, but also we do need to invest in it at a national and regional level as well. And that's not just about farmers. But I I see huge opportunities and go back to the point I made earlier, that there is that absolute sweet spot of hitting improved financial performance and improved environmental credentials at the same time.
1: I, in my consultancy days, Stuart, so many times we would see looking at that sort of, like you say, the green credentials and looking at environmental management, looking at business efficiency, it, it did actually make good business sense as well because sometimes it was waste, it was, it was overproduction, it was overgrazing. Sometimes habitat management can actually really regenerate and, and make for a more productive farmland. I'm going to move on. We're going to touch on one or two things. One thing we've already touched on is the ability to measure carbon in soil how far off do you think we are getting some something definitive to actually measure soil carbon where we're at now on any individual farm and then actually being able to measure the sequestration of it into the soil to to get to that net zero target in 2040
2: I think there's some really interesting progress we've been working with a number of businesses that are developing carbon calculators. One of the things that we've been absolutely focused on is is the last point you touched on there, Oliver, that you know, we've got to be able to measure the sequestration on farms because Farms don't just have a, a big chimney that they emit emissions through. They are a central part of the carbon cycle, and that includes, in fact, a, a great illustration. I I remember you and I aren't a dissimilar age, Oliver. I'm probably being slightly generous to you there, perhaps, but you, but look, it's very the... flattering to me, Stuart. We're, we're, Thank we're, you. We're not a dissimilar age. When we were at school, there used to be textbooks that had the carbon cycle in them. And in the middle of the diagram was a farm usually, and there was some animals and some trees. And carbon went up and it came back down and it was then stored in the soil. And always off to the right hand side, there was a factory where there was only an arrow that went one way which was emissions out. And there was usually a lorry at the other end with emissions out. And actually, it is vital that in measuring carbon going forward, we look at the cycle bit of farming and ultimately that's sequestration. There is some really good work going on. There's some great work being done at the moment. But we've also got to look at how we measure different greenhouse gases, the way methane behaves in the atmosphere. So everything at the moment we look at in terms of CO2 equivalents, okay? Now, CO2 out of, I'll say your exhaust pipe, because I'm, I'm very environmentally friendly. I've got an electric car, right? So out of your exhaust pipe, the CO2 lasts in the atmosphere about 200 years, okay? So purely accumulates. Whereas methane, which is has a very high greenhouse gas measurement but actually is very short-lived only lives for about 11 or 12 years in the atmosphere so it cycles and is sequestered back into the soil and this just isn't being taken account of enough and is something that is at the heart of for me of, of agriculture that actually we've got to start to look at that carbon coming down and then I think actually we can look at a farm as something that is doing the sequestration but is also storing Huge, huge amounts of carbon that ultimately must have, in my mind, a financial value. Now, guys that are cleverer than me and and, and people like yourself, actually, Oliver, and and in the financial services and elsewhere, and I'm sure people in Barclays are doing this, we then need to start to look at how do we not just measure it? But how do we attach values to it? because I think going forward that carbon in my soil, that carbon in my woodland, and that carbon that I am sequestering on an annual basis will have a monetized value for me as a farmer. I think it's really exciting.
1: Yeah, I firmly believe that Stuart not not only as someone working in agricultural finance but also just someone who's been involved in the industry for you know the last thirty thirty five years. But I I firmly believe that carbon sequestration on the global carbon markets or just the UK carbon markets will become part of UK agriculture's income in the coming years. You know, as you already said, there are a lot of sectors out there that the arrow only goes one way. We're supremely lucky in agriculture that that arrow can can go both ways for us. One topic which I want to touch on before we start to wrap up, Stuart, is the subject of rewilding. It's a real real sort of buzz phrase at the moment. seems to be getting a bit of momentum. And obviously, from an environmental sort of point of view and from a carbon point of view, I can see its merits. But don't we need to produce food on much of our landmass?
2: <laughs> Look, I'm a, I'm a farmer, OK, Oliver. I, I firmly believe the reason I was uh, or the reason farmers were put on this earth is to feed an urbanised population that can't feed itself. Uh, And ultimately, that's what farming is for. The core business of farming is food production, as you've said. There's parts of my own farm. I'm very happy to admit that actually they don't produce food very efficiently. And therefore, I perhaps should turn them over to woodland or to do some biodiversity areas. And we do. And, And interestingly enough, we've got a small area on the farm at the moment where we've seen in the last couple of years orchids growing for the first time in about 25, 30 years. But the bulk of the farm is food production. That's what we're here to do. And I think we need to be really careful as well that we produce food. We look at this, if you like, on a global scale, and we need to produce food in the places on the globe that it is most efficient to do so. And I, I use a, a figure to sum this up, and uh, dairy cows, okay? So there's about 200, I'll never forget the exact figure, but it's about 273 million animals on the planet that are producing dairy products, okay? So 270 odd million, uh, all emitting methane, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. If every single one was as efficient as a UK dairy cow, you would only need about 74 million. So the UK is phenomenally efficient at producing food because of the water we touched on earlier, The soils, the genetics, and therefore we should be looking to maximise food production actually in an efficient, sustainable way in those parts of the world where it is most sustainable to do it. And I genuinely believe the UK. Is one of, if not the most climate friendly places to produce food around the world. And we can't use whatever you want, environmental scheme or rewilding or whatever it may be to the detriment of producing some of the best food and some of the most sustainable food, which we're able to do in this country.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that, Stuart. And I always remember the phrase, sadly, I didn't come up with it. But I have used it many times since I heard it, which is, you know, if you import food, you just export environmental responsibility. At least the food we produce in the UK, we know where it's come from, we know how it's been produced, and we know how that environment's been managed.
2: You're, you're absolutely right, Oliver. And, and this isn't a debate about food standards and trade. But we can't put ourselves in a position where we, for example, let's re- we'll rewild the UK, we'll export our food production to some of the more unsustainable parts of the world. We, at the same time, we'll export our conscience uh, and actually we'll do more damage to the planet and to climate change by doing that. You know, we produce food really well in this country. And, and yes, we need to improve. We need to use our Our resources more efficiently. We need to get to that net zero point, but we absolutely won't do that by offshoring our production.
1: Stuart, we've we've already touched on how frustrating it is at times that you know agriculture is often perceived as the villain when it comes to climate change and carbon emissions. And I I really identify with the feeling that UK farmers must feel sort of under pressure and under the microscope but we've, we've got to embrace it. Our survey showed that 85% of UK farmers think they're going to get to net zero by 2035. But there is, a, there is a flip side to this and one that I truly believe in because we've also done some survey work with consumers across the UK. And on average, the average consumer we spoke to would be prepared to spend an extra £177 a year in order for their shopping baskets to be filled with more sustainable produce. Start multiplying that up by the number of households in the UK. And this is a massive marketing opportunity for UK agriculture, isn't it?
2: I think it's a, it's a really interesting one. I, I get slightly nervous here. I'm not undermining your survey at all, but I do remember a similar survey before that was carried out outside a supermarket about whether people were prepared to pay more for animal welfare. And then actually their behaviours in the supermarket don't necessarily reflect their views outside. But I think you hit on a really important point. And that is, I think, the climate-friendly nature of UK agriculture, the production systems of UK agriculture are definitely a competitive advantage for us in this sphere. But there's also another thing which I think is wider than that, I think any industry, any sector of the economy that is going to thrive and prosper and grow over the next few decades and, you know, certainly over the next 20 or 30 or 40 years that I hope to be still involved in agriculture, for those businesses to survive, they have to address the big issues of society. And that may be around uh, poverty and, and some social issues, but the big issue in society is climate change. You look at the coverage it gets, you look at the number of conversations around it, you talk to consumers. This is the big issue, and particularly the big issue of that next generation of decision makers, you know, the millennials, the generation Xs, all those that are a lot younger than me and you, Oliver. For them, climate change is absolutely central. And if agriculture is not seen as part of the solution, if agriculture is not Having climate change at the center of our modus operandi, if we're not being seen to address that issue, we will lose relevance in terms of society. And that would be to our detriment. So I see us absolutely front and center of addressing the big issues of society today. And and if we can do that and can be seen as that rather than seen as as the villain, then actually I see a very prosperous future for agriculture and, and the supply chain that surrounds agriculture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is about messaging. It is about, as you say, hitting those sort of headlines for the right reasons to address public opinion. I think there's a figure somewhere that 25% of the global population are millennials, and it doesn't matter where in the world you go, whether it's America, Europe, Asia, 25% are millennials, and they're hugely keen on the carbon footprint and environmental aspect of their lives. I'm going to wrap it up shortly, Stuart, I do think that, you know, for 35 years, I've been full time in agriculture. I also grew up on a small family farm. I just think the next five to 10 years are going to be the most exciting, the most dynamic and have great faith that UK farmers are going to rise to the challenge and and embrace it. What do you see in real simplistic terms? What are the next steps in the next five to 10 years just to get down that route and down on the journey to net zero? What do you see as the most important things that we need to do as a sector?
2: Um, the first one, Oliver. In some ways, this is going to sound really boring. Okay, we just need to keep getting better at what we're doing. You know, I look at what I've done on my farm in terms of the the rainwater harvesting, or in terms of trying to improve genetics or nutrition, or improve my cropping. I look at what my neighbours are doing in terms of precision agriculture. I look at what other people are doing in terms of some of the phenomenal advances that are happening in, in the horticulture sector, which is one I get really, really excited about. We've just got to get better at our productivity, improve our productivity, which itself will deliver on resource efficiency, it will deliver on towards net zero. And then we could also then start to think about the, the other exciting areas, you know, the, the energy generation, which is an important plank in this, the carbon storage that we've touched on, on a lot today. And we've also got to And I I believe this is a really important point, actually. We ourselves have got to be better at telling our story. So I, I do believe all those things I said about us being part of the solution, about us leading when it comes to these issues, about us having, if not the most climate friendly, one of the most climate friendly food production systems around the world, It's great us knowing that, but what we've got to do is we've got to get out and get that message across to consumers and society because only by doing that will people actually start to realize it. And I also think, I don't think we realize ourselves at times how much progress we are already making. You know, every year that we improve our cropping or we improve our return on on investment or our return on yield or, or just Farm improvements, every single one is an environmental improvement as well. And I think, you know, if we're not going to be confident about ourselves, if we're not going to be positive about what we're doing, and it's great to hear Barclays and you said it there, you know, wanting to back agriculture, wanting to invest in agriculture. And I hear this time and again from you guys. And, and look, I've seen it in terms of, of my own investment. If we're not going to be confident about our industry, then who do we expect to be? And, and there'll be challenges. But ultimately, we've got one of the best production systems around the world, and it can only get better as people invest in knowledge, they invest in technology, they invest in resources. And and I genuinely think we will be world beaters, as you say, over the next three, five, ten years.
1: Excellent. Stuart, great discussion, as always. Thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Talk Agriculture.
2: Absolute pleasure, Oliver, and it's always good to catch up, particularly on such an exciting topic, which I know farmers up and down the country are excited about, society is excited about, and it's great that you've given us some time to pick it up in a bit more detail today, so thank you.
1: Thank you, Stuart. Speaking personally, I know I'm looking forward to working with the NFU, other industry bodies and farmers across the UK as we all work towards achieving carbon net zero by 2040. Thanks again for
0: listening. If you have enjoyed the Let's Talk Agriculture podcast, please subscribe and you'll receive a notification when we release our next episode, when we'll be taking a look at another important topic facing farming businesses. Our Let's Talk Agriculture Farm to Fork special, where Mark Southern talks sustainability with Nigel Owens, international rugby referee, is available now. And our latest Let's Talk Brokers podcast delving deeper into issues affecting brokers is also available. You can find them both on our Let's Talk Business channel. Make money work for you. We're not responsible for, nor do we endorse in any way third-party websites or their content. The views and opinions expressed in this content don't necessarily reflect the views of Barclays Bank UK PLC, nor should they be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays Bank UK PLC, Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no responsibility for the veracity of information intimated by a third party and no warranties or undertakings of any kind, whether expressed or implied, regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information given. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no liability for the impact of any decisions made based on information contained and views expressed. Barclays Bank UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.